Welcome everyone to the very auspicious uh, night of Bhagwan Nityananda's birthday. Of course, he was uh, a man of mystery. Uh, some of the great saints have, uh, they practice what in Castaneda used to talk about erasing personal history. So you never knew where they were from or when they were born or anything like that. Uh, Akalkot Swami, Sai Baba of Shirdi, Bhagwan Nityananda, these three great beings, you really didn't know. You actually know more about Bhagwan Nityananda than about the other two. Bhagwan Nityananda, at least we knew who, who uh, his stepfather was and where he was from. Um, <clears throat> but it's a man of mystery, but it's, it's great to have at least a ceremonial day of, uh, of that. We don't know exactly what year he was born. Some have said 1891, some have said 1893, some have said 1222. <laughs> Who knows what it is, so <clears throat> it's very good. Um, uh, I want to, before we start, I want to welcome uh, Pratiba. Where are you, Pratiba? To, to have made move down to Ashram communities. Very good, welcome her. And uh, I also want to uh, say something about our dear Sumitra, who's just had both knees replaced, and she's making a first appearance. Do you have, a, you have something? Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. How does it feel? Wonderful. Yeah? <laughs> Can you sprint? <laughs> okay, very good. And then uh, another person I want to welcome is somebody I knew many years ago. Where are you, Shami? <laughs> Shami, <clears throat> Shami was a child growing up uh, around Baba back, back in the day. Her mother was uh, a prominent devotee, secretary of my dear friend Swami Samatananda. And so... Uh, She's visiting because her mother is in the hospital here on the peninsula and just had major surgery and is doing well. So we wish her every blessing. Welcome, Shami. <clears throat> and that's just the beginning. I've got 10 more. <laughs> so I like, to, I like to begin, as I always do, by quoting Baba, who began every program by saying in Hindi, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And by doing that, he was setting the mood and the quality of satsang, which is a place of love, a place of welcome, a place of honoring the highest truth that lives within every person. So in that spirit, I want to welcome you. And of course, since it's uh, Bhagwan's birthday, um, the subject tonight will be Bhagwan. <clears throat> and this is uh, Bhagwan when he played in the NBA. <laughs> and he said, he play, pass me the ball. <laughs> or else he was saying, or else he was saying, consciousness is right here, just there. Bhavana Rako. Bhavana Rako, he was saying, keep the feeling. Hold the feeling. 
all the bliss of the soul. What other pictures do we have? It's a beautiful picture. Next. Now this is walking in uh, Kailas Nivas. You can see that exact space where, uh, where this photograph was taken in his, uh, when we go to Ganeshpuri in, in uh, his ashram there. Some of these pictures, you know, when you go there, you see little nooks and crannies in, in his ashram, and they evoke photographs you've seen of it. <clears throat> he would walk around every day. He had very bad rheumatism at the end of his life. Next. Meditate on the one. What else do you have? Yeah. Nice. That's also Kailas Nivas. And this, of course, is Baba's favorite photograph of Bhagwan. And the statue in the Baba's ashram was uh, made in this pose, this beautiful picture. And this is on the roof of Kailas Nivas. And, and that's definitely one of the nooks and crannies. Is that a nook or a cranny? <laughs> in in Kailas Nivas, Bhagwan Sat. It's the bedroom we can meditate in. Hmm? It's not that. It's the bedroom we can meditate in, I think. But, well, I think it's, well, it's there anyway. We'll try to identify it. All right. Is that it? Very good. <clears throat> okay, so Bhagwan was, uh, as most of you know, was what's called an Abadut, which means he didn't uh, have a coherent philosophical teaching. He didn't really give lots of yogic exercises. Um, he just was, and he radiated Shakti, he radiated energy, radiated power. And just being in his presence, everything came spontaneously. Your Kundalini Shakti, your inner Shakti was awakened. Uh, knowledge would come to you, wisdom would come to you, burning would come to you, purification would come to you, everything would happen. <clears throat> and um, this is true of uh, several of the great beings of, well, all, all over India, but Maharashtra particularly. Uh, but in Bhagwan's case, we do have a set of teachings that we're lucky enough that one of the devotees wrote down. Uh, devotees should, should do that. If you have an avadut, uh, a character like Bhagwan Nityananda, you have to write down his stray remarks because one day somebody like me will be sitting there and be very thankful that we have his teachings. And so they were collected, there's uh, 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 a devotee named Tulsi Amma, uh, lived with, around Bhagwan in South India in the 20s, and she wrote all these down. So we have what's now known as the Chittakash Gita, <coughs> which is Hindi for notes from the tea shop. <laughs> these, are, <laughs> these are Bhagwan's notes from the tea shop, his utterances, which are filled with yoga, zany as hell, filled with wisdom, uh, and extraordinary, and, and wonderfully uplifting. <clears throat> uh, 
And as I like to tell, I went and I spoke to uh, one of the trustees in the, in the, in the temple trust in Ganeshpuri. And uh, I said, I was sitting there, you know, and uh, I said, oh, it's too bad we don't have more uh, the teachings of Bhagwan. And so he said predictably, he said, just to have one word from him is sufficient. <laughs> so I said, oh, yeah, that's true, but it would be nice to have more. <laughs> but we have more than one word. So here are some of uh, Bhagwan Nityananda's utterances. <clears throat> he says, if water is heated in a tightly closed vessel, all the heat energy is held in. So he often uses images from village life like that. <clears throat> so what is that? I get that that's a yogic metaphor, uh, that, that you, you heat the energy within you and you hold it in and it builds and builds. It's a yogic point of view. He goes on, water flows from the pump, making the ohm sound. It's true, I, after reading this, I started listening to the water and I heard it was going ohm. <laughs> and even from the tap, it makes the ohm sound, but it's a little harder to hear. He says, and I love this utterance now, abandon the wild jungle path and take the royal road. Take the downward moving energy and move it upward. The mind should know its place. This is Bhavana Rako. This is the path of the Shakti, the way of the Shakti. This is the path that we practice here. <clears throat> Abundle, abandon the wild jungle path, which is the chaotic way that people live. The stupid and unintelligent and, and uh, un unfocused way that we live, helter-skelter, random way that we live, he says, and take the royal road, the path to the self, the path to the divine. There is a road, there is a path, but it's a hidden path. You can describe it as going up to Sushumna, or you could describe it as going from ignorance to wisdom, or from lack of energy to being filled with energy, or from emptiness or hatred to love. These are all the same path. Take the royal road, move, move upwards, become all that you can be. Take the downward moving energy. When we live our life in a conventional way, we're always spending energy. <clears throat> we're spending usually more than we have, or we spend it all very quickly, or the energy becomes negative. We have negative emotions, and we have fears and anger and depression. And he says, take that negative movement of energy and move it upward. This is the great skill of a yogi, is to turn the negative positive, to turn the life of suffering into a life of joy, through practice, through meditation, through contemplation. It's no joke. But this is what bhavana rako is, to make the feeling, uplift the feeling. And there's a science to that, it's a possibility. 
Everybody wants their feeling to be uplifted. I'm sure everyone wants to feel good. Everyone wants to feel happy. Everyone wants to feel fulfilled and confident and uh, contented. Uh, but we don't know how to do it. <clears throat> and the yogis are those who have actually done it. And they know what the way is. The way is through the inner path. The path of the energy of the shakti. The path of wisdom. The path of love. He says the mind should know its place. Every one of, this is one of the most profound ones. The mind should know its place. Normally we run after the mind. The mind should be our servant, not our master. We should make the mind move in positive directions. Sometimes the mind wants to think all kinds of catastrophic thoughts, and we get caught in it and become miserable. Sometimes the mind wants to think vengeful thoughts, and we, we nourish those and we become miserable. Sometimes the mind wants to be depressed, and we just don't know what to do about that, and we're depressed. So know the mind, be the master of your mind, make the mind move in a positive way. Learn the art of turning the negative to positive. And this is what we practice. So that's a very good one. Take the royal road. So I say to everybody, come on, take the royal road. And you say, it's too hard, <laughs> too hard. I'll say it's pretty hard to take the downward path and suffer like a dog all your life. Except our dog doesn't suffer, our dog is very good. That's much harder. Nobody in their right mind would practice austerities and discipline and yoga um, if, the if the alternative wasn't so miserable. So take the royal road, take the path of yoga, cultivate consciousness, cultivate the self, cultivate love. Okay, I didn't expect to go up on that one. <laughs> I think that's my new favorite sutra. Great. Except the one that says, strike the match and light the light. <laughs> okay, here's another one. It is not the body that is permanent. That's for damn sure. It is the one who is the supreme doer that is permanent. So inside of us there is something permanent, but it's nothing of our personality or our, our flesh. None of that's permanent. But there is something deep in our core that is permanent. He says, it is the breath that man brings with him at birth, and it is the breath that man takes with him when he leaves this world. So we, human life is defined by the first breath and then the last breath. So all during life you're breathing and then, and then it's not. <coughs> Property, <coughs> so breath comes from the other world and goes back to the other world. But property and fame are here only. So things, things of, uh, that are, they're temporary. Whatever achievements we have and whatever we've owned and so on, that's only for this life. There, everything is one. There, everything is one. Duality exists only here. All the divisions and separateness. On the other side, there is no duality. 
when we pass through that doorway, there's oneness. Abnavadut is the greatest of men. Yeah. <laughs> He's not talking about himself. It's a, a, a realized being. <clears throat> Yogis and sa- sannyasis are after cities. So the, normal, the normal yogi in India is not after God-realization. He's after occult powers and showing off these occult powers and gaining things. So he says, an Abhidu does not want anything. So a, real, a true great being is content. Peaceful. He has everything. Imagine what it would be like if you had everything. Here's another one. Without knowing the self, if we simply decorate the exterior skin, our karma will not leave us. One cannot be a sannyasi by external signs. If he is if he is, uh, sorry, one cannot be a sannyasi by external signs if he is internally a hypocrite. So you can wear all the, the insignia of religion and spirituality, but what are you like truly inside yourself? What you think you must speak. This is kind of like a self-help book, this part. What you think you must speak, what you speak you must show by your acts. Do what you say, say what you do. Such a man is a yani, person of knowledge. He is a Paramahansa. He's a realized being. Paramahansa is the supreme swan, which means the highest yogi. He is a yogi. He is a swami. One who has conquered desire is a true sannyasi. Only a desireless man is fit to be a spiritual teacher. I like that. What you think you must speak, but sometimes you don't say everything. What you speak you must show by your acts. You have to live with integrity, be what you claim. And what you say, do what you say and say what you do. Don't preach stuff and do other things. Now, a philosophical one. He says, Sat is the one, indivisible. It is a subtle principle which is everlasting. Now, in the Indian scriptures, they talk about God. Sometimes they say God is ineffable, apophatic. You can't understand it positively. You can't speak about it. Because God is not this, not this. It's, whatever you can think of, it's not that, you could say. <clears throat> but when they do speak of it positively, they use a formula, and that is sat-chit-ananda. Sat-chit-ananda. And it's I contemplated that a lot uh, because it's interesting. So God is sat, which is being. He exists. It exists. Chit, it's conscious. And ananda, it's blissful. So that 
ultimate thing, the self, God, supreme consciousness, has these three qualities. It exists. Like um, when, when Westerners think about matter, we know that matter exists. So it has sat. But it doesn't have chit, which is consciousness, or ananda, which is bliss. But the yogis would say that everything in the universe has satchitananda, even a rock has satchitananda. So chit is consciousness and ananda is bliss. And the more you can move on that continuum, uh, the more you develop your beingness and your consciousness. The consciousness moves towards the light, towards wisdom. And then your feeling side moves towards ananda away from depression, away from fear, towards bliss. So this is Sat Chidananda. <clears throat> but he says, Sat is the subtle principle which is everlasting. It's everlasting. Beingness is always there. Being. Chit is always changing. The mind, how's your mind? Your mind's always changing, isn't it? Your mind uh, stay in one place. It's always moving around, whatever encounter you have and stray thought you have, it's going this way, that way. That means the mind and so on. He says, when sat unites with chit, the result is ananda. It's a new perspective on it. When, when consciousness and being connect, you get bliss. This ananda, this bliss, is the Satchitananda, Sri Nityananda, Sri Parmananda. The union of Jiva and Paramatma is Ananda. When your individual individuality connects with your divinity, you have Ananda. When your individuality, your ego self, your personal self, is far away from your higher self, then you have no ananda, you're miserable. The more you can bring the, your personal self into harmony with the higher self, you get more and more blissful. He says, it's ananda, it's yogananda, the bliss of yoga, paramananda, the supreme bliss, satchitananda, and brahmananda, the bliss of brahman. So what's the upshot of all that, Devi Ma? What? What's the upshot of all of that? <laughs> no, I was in Samadhi. Oh, Samadhi, that's it. Did you have to answer the question, though? Well, I don't know, it's beyond me. I wouldn't ask it if I knew the answer. <laughs> the upshot is everything is consciousness. Hmm? Everything is consciousness, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Being, consciousness, and bliss. It's a wonderful contemplation. So, in fact, God can be approached through being, through consciousness, and through bliss. So we call the approach through consciousness, chit. We call that jnana yoga, the path of wisdom. Approaching it through ananda, we call devotion, bhakti yoga. It's trying to expand the bliss element. And the sat element is raja yoga. It's by becoming more and more powerful in our being, by controlling the mind. It's the mind that undermines our beingness. 
The mind makes us weak when it goes in the wrong direction. And so all of these uh, paths and all these elements are part of all of us. They're also solid, vital, and peculiar. And um, thinking, feeling, doing. Thinking, feeling, and doing, right. <coughs> okay. <coughs> wow. Sorry. Must be his birthday. I'm really enjoying Bhagwan tonight. <coughs> I'm never going to get through all of these. You don't have to. Yeah, really? Yeah. All right, I'm going to find one. I'll do one more. <coughs> Maybe two. <laughs> all right, let's put this aside. This is quirky. The light of the sun is the great light. The light given by a gas light is a lesser light. So this is written when, you know, things were gaslit. <clears throat> to those who have lost the difference between day and night, the light of the sun and the light of the gaslight are the same. There's no difference between the two. <clears throat> One's faith is the greatest thing. I always think of him as... Uh, this extraordinary consciousness <clears throat> that, that's triggered by watching something. He sees something. Somebody walks past and says something. Some encounter, he's looking, and he's looking in this completely detached and very high way. He's looking, and he sees something, then he starts speaking. And from that encounter, he's reporting what he's seeing. <clears throat> so he's, this must have been triggered by some, something that he saw. <clears throat> then he goes off. One's faith is the greatest thing. There is no God higher than faith. Interesting, isn't that? In this world, there's nothing higher than faith. This faith is nothing but Conviction. If you go up to the Sai Baba temple, you'll see two words, Shraddha and Saburi, written there. And so Shraddha is faith. And what you, what you have faith in, sometimes you have to discover what you have faith in. And it's good to understand what it is you believe in, what you have faith in, and you should live from that faith. <clears throat> It's very important. And if you have faith in the self and faith in the guru, faith in the path, that's a wonderful thing. And you have to bring that into harmony with everything you do and say. <clears throat> so there's nothing higher because you can only experience God as much as you have faith. If you lose faith, then you can be at the greatest banquet in the world and you won't be able to eat anything. <clears throat> a man with faith cannot be deceived by the wicked tricks of others. <clears throat> There's a law in spirituality that you're always tested. You always get tested. In American language, you're thrown a curveball. What do they call it here? A bouncer. A, uh, a what? A googly? <laughs> A spinner. 
<clears throat> and um, whatever attainment, whatever attainment you make, yogically is always going to be tested. But if you have strong in your faith, nothing will shake you. He says, man enjoys that in which he has his faith. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> the internal faith should be concentrated upon the breath. He's giving you yoga. His yoga was very simple. It always had to do with the breath, watching the breath. The breath come up and the breath go down. Those who have no faith have no intelligence. Those who have no faith have no regard for sadhus and sannyasis. <clears throat> They're not interested in, in the path. So this one could be discussed and probably um, analyzed. What, what could he have? A hermeneutic. It needs a hermeneutic, that one. <clears throat> How his mind worked from one thing to the other. And since we talked about uh, breath, I thought I'd end so we meditate on, I have a whole collection of his, his teachings on meditation of the breath. <clears throat> I'm having trouble with that one now. This is a different one. He says, those who do not concentrate on the breath have no aim, no state, no intelligence, and no fulfillment. <clears throat> We can, we can say that he means those who do not meditate. Think deeply and concentrate. Concentrate on the in-breath and the out-breath. Draw the breath in properly. Breathe while concentrating on the sound of the, that the breath produces. <clears throat> when Baba taught the Hamsa Mantra, um, it wasn't that he wanted you to sit there going, hum, sa, hum, sa, hum, sa. It was that he wanted you to hear the breath come in. It came in like hum, out like sa. He wanted you to hear the breath come in and go out, come in and go out. <clears throat> and magic happens when your awareness and the breath are connected. It's very healing. It knits together two things because the in-breath and the out-breath represent the inner world and the outer world. <clears throat> that we're, a, we're an entity that lives inside of ourselves, yet we have to deal with this outside world, which is so difficult. But by concentrating, focusing on the breath, you harmonize the two worlds inside yourself. He says, concentrate on the sound which is produced internally. Have faith in the internal sound and breathe. Breathe in. Breathe deeper and deeper. Breathe in so that the internal sound may be audible to the ears. So you actually hear. This is, uh, I think this is from a meditation class that he gave to the village. They're all sitting there and he says, do this, <clears throat> try this. Do not think of anything else. Just hear the sound of the breath come in and go out. 
eating and drinking, coming and standing and eating, these do not elevate the soul. All the conventional activities of life, they're fine, but they don't elevate the soul. How about this now? Cook for yourself. Do not desire to eat what others have cooked. What's he saying there? Every person has to cook for himself inwardly. Every person has to evolve and grow inwardly. No one can do it for you. No government can do it for you. No political position can do it for you. No husband or wife can do it for you. No philosophy. You have to work inside because the inner world is private to each of us. We have our own inner world. And to cultivate a healthy inner world, an inner world full of peace and love and joy, is our own business. Nobody else's. Nobody else's. And you can't blame anybody else for if the inner world is a mess. Nobody else's fault. And so he says, cook for yourself. Don't eat other people's food. He says, oh mind, do what you do with faith. How's that for a Bhagwan Nityananda utterance? It's remarkable. What do you want to say about that? I hear Om on the elsewhere. <clears throat> Is that all right? No, that's wrong. <laughs> of course that's good. What's on, what do you hear on the in-breath? Hum. Hum? Om. <laughs> okay. Just listen to the breath. Well, let's meditate then. Okay? Bhagavan is transinducing, isn't he? Can you imagine the, the consciousness that gave, gives rise to utterances like that? You know? He's not just making stuff up that he read in the yoga journal. He's genuinely in that space. And that space is indefinable, yet it's ecstatic, extraordinary, exalted. And that space is something that we can attain also through meditation, contemplation, through self-inquiry. So let's meditate for 10 minutes, and let's at least begin by just watching the breath. He didn't give more instruction than to listen to the sound of the breath coming in and going out and become one with the breath. This is really the essence of Baba's hamsa technique. So let's meditate now for 10 minutes. And happy birthday, Bhagwan Nityananda. And uh, once again, with great respect and